This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for March 21st, 2018. In this episode, we'll talk about the differences between various hard drives available to use with the Mac. Plus, in this week's news, Apple catches up to a cryptocurrency generating app that was allowed on the Mac App Store. Another security company announces they can crack any iPhone. And new rumors surface about a new Apple laptop. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. Hey, Josh, have you ever tried to mine cryptocurrency? No, not me personally. Although I, I do know some people who know someone who does mine cryptocurrency. <laughs> that sounds a bit suspicious, like the guy <laughs> who you meet behind the bar over by the train station or something. <laughs> well, I, so I, I have a couple of coworkers who know, who, who have a friend who, who mines cryptocurrency. In one case, it's his dad actually mines cryptocurrency in Peru. And then I have another guy whose former boss mines a certain cryptocurrency. Okay, that's kind of interesting. Do you get better cryptocurrency? currencies in Peru than you do in the U.S.? <laughs> well, the cryptocurrencies, So, and of course, we should mention that we're talking about things kind of like Bitcoin. Right. Bit Bitcoin is the one most people have heard of, but there are literally hundreds of them. Now. Yeah. And there's Monero. That's one that comes up a lot because, um, you know, web pages sometimes have an embedded JavaScript that mines Monero cryptocurrency in the background. Uh, there's Ethereum, you know, there, there's there's a whole bunch of these. And basically the idea behind it is that theoretically you're, you're generating money by solving, by having your CPU or GPU, your graphics processor unit, solve some math problems. And if your machine is the first one to solve that math problem, then hooray, you get a little piece of a cryptocurrency that maybe can be exchanged for some paper money. Paper money, that's so 20th century. It's worth noting that if you do mine cryptocurrency, you probably pay more for the electricity you use than what you end up earning from the cryptocurrency mining, unless, of course, you have solar panels. Yes. Yeah, th this is true, which is why certainly anyone in the United States, if you're if you're really trying to make a lot of money from cryptocurrency, good luck with that, because your energy bill is just going to be through the roof. And it's probably not going to balance out in most cases for most people with most cryptocurrencies. So the reason I brought it up is that there was an app in the Mac App Store that was mining cryptocurrency. It's a calendar app called Calendar 2, and it offered a number of ways to enable all of the features. Essentially, it was a free download and you had in-app purchases. You could pay 99 cents a month to unlock all new and future features. You could pay $17.99 to unlock all features, or you could choose to get all the advanced features for free, allowing the app to generate cryptocurrency in the background. Now, this was a bit of a surprise that Apple would have allowed this in the Mac App Store. Yeah, and what we suspect probably happened here is that it wasn't so much that Apple allowed it in the Mac App Store as it was that it kind of slipped past the reviewers because Apple does have guidelines that apps in in you know whatever the iOS app store or Mac app store must follow and there are a number of places where you could argue that a cryptocurrency miner probably should not have ever made it into the Mac app store um, they don't explicitly 
ban cryptocurrency mining, interestingly enough. They do have a section in their developer uh, agreement about cryptocurrency, but but it doesn't explicitly forbid cryptocurrency mining. And so maybe that's the loophole that this developer thought that they could <laughs> could use. Yeah, I, I think one of the problems here, and, and I'll link to an article on Ars Technica that talks about this, is I'm guessing that this app, when you launch it, should offer you the option of turning this feature on. And because of a couple of bugs, it didn't offer the option and was doing this cryptocurrency mining in the background. So one of the problems here is that cryptocurrency is, as you said earlier, it uses your CPU, your central processing unit, or your GPU, the chip on your graphics card, and it can actually run your computer into the ground because it'll be using every every last ounce of processor power. You might discover something going on on your Mac when the fan goes on really loud or on your iPhone or iPad when it gets really warm. And this is when the processor is being used excessively. Now, I was just doing some video editing earlier and exporting a video and all of my cores in my iMac go to the maximum, the fan goes on, and that's normal. But if you're just browsing the web and you see something like that, or if you're just working in a calendar app, um, this is a bit of a problem. So I'm going to link in the show notes to an article I wrote last year on the Intego Mac security blog called How to Use Activity Monitor to Troubleshoot Problems on a Mac. Activity Monitor is an app that shows you what's going on on your Mac. It shows all the apps that are running, how much processor power they're using, how much memory, whether they use a lot of energy, which is useful for a laptop, if they're writing to disk, and if they're using the network. So if you look in this article, you'll see how you can sort by the app using the most CPU, so which is using the most processor. And if you see an app there that really isn't doing anything or shouldn't be doing anything, you might want to quit it. So if you had Calendar 2 installed, if you happened to, to uh, get this software on your machine, it's no longer in the App Store. You can uninstall it. If you run Intego Virus Barrier, it will actually detect this as something you probably don't want on your machine. So if you do have this software on your machine, it's not something that you probably need to worry about anymore at this point. And the developer, if they do release a new version of this, it will not include the cryptocurrency mining. Right. They've said that they don't want to do this anymore, that it's against their ethos. In other news, um, we were talking a couple of episodes ago about a company called Celebrite that claimed that they could unlock any iPhone. There's another company called Grayshift that has a device that is called Gray Key. And it could unlock every iPhone. This is a hardware device that looks kind of like an Apple TV with two lightning cables coming out and a power cable in the back. And this device apparently can crack any iPhone. Should we worry about this? Well, what's kind of interesting about this is that what it seems to do is just brute force guess your passwords. And in fact, they may be using the same technology that Celebrite is using when they claim that if you send a device to them that they can crack into it for you. Well, what, what I kind of suspect is going on here, there, there's some, some screenshots and we'll, we'll have, of course, a link in the show notes to an article about this. One of the things that you can clearly see in one of these photographs of, of this device in action is it's plugged into an iPhone and then essentially it runs an app on the device that guesses the password until it gets it right. 
And so they show an example in this article of someone had a password, a six digit passcode of 987987. And it claims that it spent 30 seconds guessing that particular password. Rats, that's my passcode. <laughs> so if basically if you have a four digit passcode, it's it's going to get cracked in probably two minutes. If, if you have a six digit passcode, it might take a couple of days, but that's where the challenge is. If, if you're using a six digit password, you have a total of one million options, right? All zeros through all nines and everything in between. So it's possible to guess that it, it just with sheer brute force. If you're able to, to bypass Apple's, you know, iOS mechanism that prevents you from guessing too many times in a row, which apparently this exactly what this device is doing then you can eventually guess that password. Right, and that's what's interesting because there is a built-in security on iOS devices that if you make too many erroneous passcode attempts, it will slow you down. So you'll have to wait a couple of minutes and then you'll have to wait an hour, then you'll have to wait a day. And this seems to be getting around this, presumably with some sort of a vulnerability that is not published and that Apple could patch at any time. So I would think that any law enforcement agency that's paying either 15000 or $30,000 for this device, they better think carefully whether they need to spend that money. Because as the article we linked to says, it will work for as long as it works, presumably until Apple fixes whatever vulnerabilities the device relies on, at which time updated phones would no longer be unlockable. Exactly. Yeah, it, it is sort of a strange business model <laughs> to have this device that's available. Only that available for a limited time. Order now. <laughs> only will work for a limited time. Because as soon as Apple gets a hold of one of these gray keys, you know that they're going to reverse engineer the process and figure out exactly what vulnerability they're exploiting to have this work, which is, which is exactly why Celebrite wants you to mail the device to them and let them do it. Because they don't want somebody getting a hold of that technique and reverse engineering it and fixing it in the latest... In, version of iOS. Yeah, that's a good point. The different business model that these two companies are using, the one of them is saying, we're keeping this secret and we're going to be able to unlock more devices. And this one's saying, you know what? We just want to make as much money as we can now. And too bad if it doesn't work in two months. It's worth noting that any sort of device like this that would unlock Android devices would have a much longer shelf life. But since iOS devices get updates and people generally get nagged and update their devices. I would say the majority of iOS users probably update in the first month or so after a new version of the operating system comes out. Right, right. That's definitely true. And and Apple's numbers, I think, confirm that whenever they do share numbers about adoption of the latest version of the operating system. So another reason to use an iPhone then, because you're less likely that someone can break into it using one of these brute force gizmos. Yeah, that's something that's kind of always been the case with with iOS is that you can get operating system updates much more quickly on average than you can with an Android device. Because the challenge with Android is because the same company is not making the operating system and the hardware, you tend to have a gap. In, in between when Google releases a new Android OS version and when your device manufacturer chooses to modify and release that version for your particular model. In other news this week, there are rumors about a new Apple laptop. What, what's your laptop, Josh? 
I have a MacBook Pro, not the latest version, not the one with the touch bar, but I but I have a MacBook Pro. Yes, I, I have a 2017 MacBook Pro non-touch bar. So we're both pretty much up to date. Over the years, I've had, well, I've had iBooks back in the day. Remember those with the yeah. different candy colors or the white plastic one? And then I've had, I actually, I stood, my first Mac was a PowerBook 100, but that goes back into prehistoric times. <laughs> um, and I had the first MacBook Air, and I've had MacBook Pros, and I had a 12-inch MacBook, and I went, I've gone back to the MacBook Pro. So there are rumors recently that Apple's going to either release a MacBook Air with a Retina display or a 12-inch MacBook with a lower price. Now, it struck me in recent years that Apple having three different laptops is a bit confusing for a lot of people. If you look today, you've got the MacBook Air, which is a lower-priced device, which is interesting. It used to be more expensive than the other laptop when it first came out, but it doesn't have a Retina display. And I don't know about you, I could never go back to a non-Retina Mac, either on the desktop or on my lap. Yeah, if you have good eyes, <laughs> then it definitely makes a difference to, to have a Retina display. When, once you're used to it, it is difficult to go back to another dis non-Retina display. So then they have the 12-inch MacBook, and the problem with that is it's just got either one or two USB-C ports. And, and the one that I had was the single port, and I've got a bunch of dongles on my desk because whenever I needed to connect something, like I need to connect an iPhone and the power cord, you'd have to go through a dongle. And so the other one is the MacBook Pro. And with these three different devices, which sort of overlap in, in different ways, it would make sense for them to get rid of one of them. I've always had a soft spot for the MacBook Air because when I got it, it was clearly my favorite Mac of all times. But I, I think they're probably going to get rid of that and stick with the MacBook. And, well, we're just stuck dealing with dongles now, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see what what Apple does here. I personally, I I really like the features that you get with a Pro the the challenge that I have sometimes is when I'm going to a conference, say, and I want to bring my device around with me everywhere in case I need to, I don't know, do whatever it is I might need to do that I can't necessarily do on an iPad or on my iPhone. Uh, that MacBook Pro is a little bit heavy. That's that's the only problem that I have with a MacBook Pro. And 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 in those cases, I kind of wish that I had like a little 11 inch, you know, MacBook Air. That was a pretty nice computer when Apple came out with that. I know people who still use the 11-inch MacBook Air for that very reason, because it's so light. After the break, we'll talk about the different types of hard drives that you can find for your computer. As a security-conscious Mac user, one of the first things you probably install on a new Mac is security software from Intego. You probably tell your friends and family to do so as well. And here's something else you can tell them. Now's the perfect opportunity for first-time Intego users to get 60% savings on award-winning Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a full suite of outstanding Intego software and includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today, and then use the promo code IntegoPodcast to save 60% at checkout. That's IntegoPodcast to save 60% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. This offer will be ending soon, so don't wait much longer. Save 60% on Mac Premium Bundle X9. 
or Mac Washing Machine Secure X9 or Mac Internet Security X9. Just use the promo code Intego Podcast at checkout. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. Josh, do all of your Macs have SSDs, or do you still have a Mac with a hard drive? I do still have uh, a few Macs, actually, with spinning hard drives, that ancient technology that never dies. (laughs) Wait, a few Macs? How many Macs do you own? If you count my really old Macs, I still have a... Be honest. (laughs) I still have a Lime iMac, which with a PowerPC G3 processor, 400 megahertz. Wow. (laughs) And uh, that has a spinning hard drive, obviously, because, you know, SSDs are kind of a modern technology. I've got a 2007 iMac and I've got a mid-2011 iMac. So you're not the guy who sells his Macs when he buys a new one. Uh, well, see, I've got kids and, and, uh, of and course. It's, it, yeah. It, yeah, it's it's one of those things where, well, if the kids can still get use out of it, the only reason we still have that Lime iMac is because we've got some, you know, educational software that came on a CD-ROM. And of course, being the geek that I am, I made some disk images, so I don't have to have the disk inserted all the time. Sure. But uh, but that's why I've still got that Lime iMac. And and then the kids use uh, the 2007 iMac for <laughs> doing some basic homework and things like that. I haven't had a Mac with a hard disk in years. I think the last one I had goes back, well, it's my 2011 Mac Mini that I mentioned earlier that still runs as a server. It's interesting to look at the progress we've made and not just the fact that my first Mac had a 20 megabyte hard drive, and that I just bought a new iMac and it has 512 gigabytes of SSD. But it's interesting to look at the technology. So I wrote an article for the Mac security blog called What Are the Different Types of Hard Disks? And it's interesting to compare what's available when you buy a Mac. Now, you can no longer buy a Mac with a hard drive, but you can buy one with a Fusion drive. And a Fusion drive is a way of combining a spinning hard drive with disks and an SSD. And the trade-off between the spinning disks and the SSD has always been one of price versus capacity. I have external drives connected to my iMac for my media. For example, I have eight terabyte drives. If I were to buy an eight terabyte SSD, I would probably have to sell a kidney to get it. So SSDs are great when you have a small amount of data, but they're not very good to store a lot of data. They're excellent for backups because this is data you're not accessing very often. But on your computer now, you really need an SSD. Right. Generally, the rule of thumb is if you need your computer to be fast, you probably want an SSD or a Fusion Drive, perhaps. And if you want to store a lot of data, then you need probably a spinning drive. And and in some cases, that could be a Fusion Drive because it has the advantages of both. Well, it has some of the advantages of both. So the way a Fusion Drive works is it has a certain capacity, one terabyte or two terabyte, I think is what Apple offers now. And there's a certain amount of flash storage. And it depends on which model you get because the one terabyte Fusion Drive has a 24 gigabyte SSD, and the two and three terabyte drives have 128 gigabytes of SSD. The SSD is there to cache the files that you use frequently. For example, the operating system is a good example. When your Mac boots up, it's loading, I don't know, five, 10 gigabytes of files, or it's reading a lot of files that may not be using them all at once. And I, I think an SSD is at least 10 times as fast as a regular spinning disk. 
So the first time you boot a Mac with a Fusion drive, it's going to be a little bit slow as all of this data gets moved from the spinning disk into the SSD portion. When you open an application for the first time, the same thing. The data will get moved, and then the second time, when you open an app, it'll take a second or two seconds at most. So the advantage here is that you get both the large amount of storage and the fast SSD. The disadvantage, and, and call me a little bit OCD, but I just don't like the noise of a spinning drive in my computers. It's more problematic on the desktop because of the sound that bounces off a desk, but I can hear that little hiss in the background. Now, I'd be very hesitant about putting a Fusion drive into a laptop because anytime you have a spinning disk in a portable computer, if you drop it while the disk is spinning, you can damage the drive. And, and I did that to an iPod some years ago. Ouch. Yeah, that iPod actually still works. It's a 40 gigabyte iPod, but only about 18 gigabytes can fill up. When it gets further than that spot on the disk, there must be like a glitch in one of the platters and it won't copy anymore. So using a Fusion Drive on the desktop is a good idea. If you don't have a lot of data, a lot of files, then you could keep everything in your computer. Whether it's a terabyte or two or three, that's enough for most people. My media collection, my music and movie collection is, you know, more like four terabytes. So that wouldn't work. But again, just the idea of having that spinning disc making its little noise, that just irritates me. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And of course, we are podcasters. And so audio is something that we pay close attention to. And if you've got spinning drives in the background, uh, I, I have a couple of external hard drives in the room where I usually record. And I've got to shut those drives down because I don't want that extra whirring and all that going on in the background. So... Uh, I, I definitely know what you mean. And for that reason, yes, having a, an SSD is nice because it's silent. Yeah. And I have some external drives and they're off to the side in a cabinet. They're not on my desk. So they're, they're isolated. The one thing I really like about modern computers is that they don't have fans anymore. I hated fans in computers and I work at home and I've worked at home for more than 20 years. So unless I have music on, you know, it's a pretty silent environment. I remember when I had a Performa 6400, this goes way back, I actually built a cabinet around it with wood lined with cork, and I left the back open so that the, the noise of the fan wouldn't spread. It was that loud. It was that annoying. And actually, Apple introduced a fanless computer with the first iMac, didn't they? Oh, yeah. That, that, that's interesting. I, I do recall that there were actually several Apple computer models that did not include a fan. I remember they had uh, the G4 Cube. That's right. I don't think that included a yep. fan because it was designed so that, you know, the the heat would rise. And there were a few other models that Apple came out with. Uh, Steve Jobs hated fan noise. I, I, I agree with you, Steve. <laughs> and so, yeah, there were there were a number of Mac models that uh, that didn't include fans. And of course, now that's become a much more standard thing. You you know, you don't necessarily need a fan in uh, in many modern computers. But uh, but that was something that yeah, he was obsessed with. He hated fan noise. Yeah, and, and so today's iMacs have fans, but you don't hear it in normal use. You only hear it when a cryptocurrency miner is running in the background. <laughs> so if you're buying a new Mac, you can choose between an SSD and a Fusion drive. And again, the choice is whether you need the storage or whether you just want the speed, because SSDs are still a little bit faster than Fusion drives. If you have an old Mac, going to give you a tip. If you can replace the drive, put an SSD in it, it'll be like it'll be like you've just bought a new Mac. It'll be so much faster. The first time you boot it up, 
you'll be surprised. You know, remember when we used to start up our Macs in the morning, go make a cup of tea or coffee, and then come back and they wouldn't be finished? <laughs> now a new Mac boots up in maybe 30 seconds at most, 15 seconds, depending on how much is being loaded when it when it's starting up. So it's it's a good recommendation to put an SSD into an older Mac. Now, you can't always do this easily. You probably could in that old iMac that you have because it's just the standard disconnector and you can get an SSD and plug it into that. Not that it really matters for a 2007 iMac, but if you have something more recent, it's worth looking into. It's harder with Apple's laptops that you can't open yourself. It's harder with recent iMacs that you can't open. iMacs a few years ago were interesting because you could actually pull the screen off the front. It was held on with magnets and you could pull that front piece of plastic off and then get the screen out and you could get inside and maybe change the disc. But if you go to a, a good computer repair store, they'll be able to do it for you. Yeah, and, and what you can do is you can check to see if there are any take apart or repair guides available online. We mentioned last week that there, you know, there are websites that are dedicated to self-repair. And so if, if you look online, you can definitely find guides for at least certain models of Macs to be able to take them apart, to replace the drive. You do have to probably be a little bit geeky to, to do this, and, and you might need some special tools, but it's definitely something that's doable for, I, I would say, the average person. If you've got a little bit of technical knowledge and can follow step-by-step -step instructions, you can probably trade out that drive in, in your, you know, three or four-year-old Mac. Now... When you're backing up your Mac, it's interesting to be able to use a large drive like my eight terabyte hard drives. But I have a backup drive that I'm using with my iMac, which is an external SSD in a small enclosure. It's 480 gigabytes. For some reason, they don't come in the same uh, multiples, like a hard drive would be 512 or something. They do it like that. And this means that I can clone my iMac with Intego Personal Backup in just a few minutes because the data transfer is so much faster. It's over USB 3. It writes to the SSD so much more quickly. It's small and compact. It can go in a pocket. So you can use this to back up your Mac and put it someplace. And we talked a few episodes ago, I'll put a link in the show notes about backups and how to store them and how to protect yourself with multiple backups. So an SSD is good if you're backing up an operating system. Of course, if the operating system is on an SSD on the main computer. You can't back up a three terabyte fusion drive to a 480 gigabyte SSD. That would be pretty cool if you could. Yeah, I don't think we're quite there with compression technology. <laughs> no. So pretty soon we're going to see all flash all the time. Hard drives will go away. I think some company just released a 30 terabyte hard drive. It's kind of expensive. It's for data centers. It's not for people like us. And, and I wouldn't have 30 terabytes of data to store anyway. But I think in five years or so, we'll be seeing you know, four, eight terabyte SSDs that are affordable that aren't much more expensive than hard drives are. It's interesting to note that when the SSD first started being used in computers, there were a lot of warnings about it not being reliable and not lasting as long as hard drives. But now SSDs actually last longer than hard drives. Yeah. And the idea behind that is because there's no moving parts, you don't necessarily have to, to worry about disk failures and at least not the same type of disk failures. It is, of course, still possible for SSDs to fail, but as long as you've got a good one from a reputable manufacturer, you can probably expect that drive to last longer than those old spinning drives would. 
And one of the things about SSDs is if something goes wrong, you can still read the data. You may not be able to do it directly on a computer, but it's easier to read than taking a spinning hard drive to a data recovery center that has to read sector by sector. I think the SSD itself just has to be plugged into a, a power supply with the right connectors to be able to read all the data. You might not be able to write again, but you won't lose your data. Now, Kirk, there, there was an interesting tweet because of our recent discussion about Alexa or the Apple HomePod and these other devices that listen in on you all the time. There was a tweet this past week that we thought was kind of interesting that we, we wanted to share. Um, Leslie Carhart, who's uh, at Hacks4Pancakes on, on Twitter, brought up something that was interesting and, and apropos to our conversation. She said, oh, no, the whole Alexa is a spy tool thing is making the rounds again. Once again, reducing attack surface is awesome. But keep your panic relative to the fact that you have a smartphone with a hardwired area mic that you use to view dubious ad services in your pocket. And she goes on. There's a there's a whole thread. But basically what she's trying to say here is, yes, it's true that you may have a device listening all the all the time, but that may not necessarily be as much of a risk as all the things that you're doing with your iPhone, say. And so it's important to kind of keep keep that in mind and, and, and think about it in context of what the risks are with, with using any particular device. Well, I don't have Siri on on my iPhone, so it's hardwired area mic isn't doing very much. Of course, some really malicious software might be able to turn it on, but that's not generally something I worry about with the way Apple reviews apps. In any case, a couple of readers wrote in with questions about the security of having a smart mic all the time, and we'll be talking about that in our next episode. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. Stay secure. Remember, you can save 60% on Intego software by using the promo code INTEGOPODCAST at checkout. Hurry, the 60% savings offer will be ending soon. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. Be sure to get every episode by subscribing at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. Links to the topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at intego.com slash podcasts. The Intego website is also where to find details on Intego security and utility software, intego.com. <laughs>